Hello, good morning. Well, a really warm welcome to all of you. Welcome to our Oak Hall Cafe. So glad you've joined us. Whether this is your first cafe you've been to or whether perhaps your 50th cafe, you're so welcome. I hope you have a good cup of tea or coffee in front of you and there's cakes and fruit to nibble on as we go through the morning. You're really welcome to be here. I'm so excited today to, to invite our, our guest here. We have a, a man called Simon Ward who is our guest this morning. Simon's been involved in the British Fashion Council for over 30 years. His incredible story, he's now left that field of work, but he has a real heart and passion for how faith and fashion can work together and, and how we express God's plan for our lives and all the work that we do. And he's got an amazing story. So very shortly, I'll invite him up. He's here with his wife, Jill, and his son, Pete, and daughter-in-law, and two granddaughters are here too. So it's a really warm welcome to you all and to the family. The fashion world may be, in our minds, something that's far beyond us, that is a sort of glitzy and glamorous world that we may not even are aware of what's going on up there. But this industry is actually the 15th biggest industry in the UK. It brings in £26 billion worth of, of money into our gross domestic product. It's a huge part of society. Over a million people are employed in some way by and through the fashion industry. And twice a year here in London, the London Fashion Week takes place. And Simon was a key part of making those weeks happen where some of the uh, the biggest and greatest designers in the world came to show off their wares to, to, to showcase what fashion is doing here in the 21st century. I'm going to show you a video just to, get, to give you a, a taste for what London Fashion Week is like and what it's all about. And uh, then I'll invite Simon up and we're going to have a good chat this morning. You can get to listen in. As we go through the morning, there'll be a chance for you to, to ask questions. And if you have a, a smartphone, you'll be able to go to slido.com. And up there, you'll be able to type in any question you like. And th- near the end of the service, we will hopefully get through some of those questions. So as, as things come to you, have a, have a think about them, write them down. So you go to this, this address here, and then there's a code, which is Y086. That's a zero, not an O. So type in that code, and that'll take you to the Oak Hall Cafe question page. And at any time through the morning, you can type them in there. You can see what other people are asking. And uh, you can vote up a question that you think, we want, I really want to hear the answer to that. Uh, so do that throughout the morning. I'll, I'll leave the code up there so you better t- be able to look at, look at it at any time. So have a think about that. Let me show you a video now to, to welcome you to the world of fashion. We've had a fantastic five days in London Fashion Week. We've seen the brilliant breadth of designers that we have there. We really are the best place for talent, and London Fashion Week reflects that. The one thing that will stay constant is the coolness, the creativity, and the desirability of British fashion. As well as being incredibly business-minded, we kind of dare to be different. I think with London, you always see like a new trend, something that you haven't seen before. Whenever I come to London, I'm always excited. There's never a dull moment. It is the fashion capital of the world. We're really 
proud that London is at the heart of what we are calling fash tech for uh, communicating digitally. I think London Fashion Week and everyone involved in the industry here have always been forward thinking in terms of digital space. They're always looking at what the next big thing is and how to innovate and change the industry and that's extremely exciting. For the businesses, the exciting things, they're also creating lots of noise and hype around what they're doing to talk directly to their customer. It's about opportunity to shout about the incredible collections that we have here in London. I think one of the things about London now is that you see so many great accessory designers coming through. I absolutely love going to see Sophia Webster's presentation. I thought Simone Rocha was a really beautiful show. I like it when she does something that's a bit more dark and less girly. I was really blown away by Roxanda Lynchich. J.W. Anderson, of course, a show stuff full of ideas. If you look at what Erdem did, that collection was all about very romantic escapism. The way people just create these worlds within collections here is literally magic. In terms of spectacle, there's nobody quite like Gareth Pugh. I mean, it wasn't only a feast for the eyes, it was a feast for the senses. I don't think I've enjoyed a show that much for years, actually. It was incredible. I believe we're going to see more and more success stories coming out of London. Not just fantastic existing designers and businesses, but a real pipeline of future growth and talent. Well, there's a little taste of what London Fashion Week is all about. Well, let's bring up the man who has helped put on this show for the next 30 years, Simon Ward. Please give him a hand, a round of applause. Have a seat. Hi there. <clears throat> oh, Simon, it's so great to have you here with us this morning. It's a real privilege to have you here. What was I looking at? <clears throat> Very serious. Who's that beside you there on, on, your, on your right? On my right, <clears throat> you can text me the answer. That was our it, former <clears throat> Prime Minister, Theresa May. It was a lady who was considerably more relaxed then than she probably was a year ago. <laughs> uh, but probably about the same name of really. Yeah. Mm. She's actually she's a lovely lady, actually. She's great fun. Um, but she fell into a bit of a hole, didn't she, sadly? But there you go. That clip we just saw, was, I think, was the last fashion week that you were involved in back in 2016. And, and I, after every one of those weeks, I think there's two every year here in London, am I right that the Prime Minister normally hosts a sort of a dinner party, uh, a reception afterwards at Downing Street, and all those who are involved in the, in the week are invited back there to sort of celebrate and, and mark the end of that. How, how many times have you been back to Downing Street after one of these fashion weeks? Uh, I lost count. Probably about ten or a dozen, something like that. Um, you can always tell when you've arrived when the security guys at the gates going on to White Hall just wave at you as you go through. <laughs> Very nice. You were telling me once before about you're going up the stairs and down in the street, and Samantha Cameron, so David Cameron was the Prime Minister at the time, and his wife Samantha was at the top, and she seemed to be beaming at you as you were walking up the stairs. Tell me about that story. Yeah, I, I drew the short straw that night because those receptions normally started at about half six, so everyone can go off to dinner afterwards, as one does. And um, I had to go to the last show, which was 
um, also at about half past six. So I arrived about 45 minutes late and the whole receiving line thing had just finished. And I was walking up the famous staircase, um, uh, you know, which you'll have seen in, which is the film? Uh, not, not, not Love Actually, Love Actually, is it? But you walk out the staircase with all the former prime ministers. And as I came around, sort of going up the final part of it, Samantha was standing at the top. Now, I knew Samantha because she was an ambassador for the British Fashion Council. I didn't know her well, but I knew her well enough to give her a smile. And she seemed to smile back as I was going up those final flights of steps. And then I was aware that she was... Um, she was sort of slightly distracted and just looked over my shoulder. I thought, hey, I'm not that important, am I? And, um, and I sort of just turned around and, and the babysitter went past with a child in each arm sort of stuff and sort of, you know, was handing them to Samantha. So I thought, that's nice. And the babysitter was David Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> so there was me between the Prime Minister and his wife and their three children. Three? Two? Three? Two. It's hmm. amazing. You've been moving in these sort of worlds, uh, which is far beyond, I think, most of us, with some of the most rich and famous people in the world. A, a bit later on, I think a couple of years ago, you were awarded an MBE by, um, by Prince William, and you had the privilege of, of um, stepping forward to, to meet our future king. What was it like when you, when you met him? Yeah, it was, it was a funny thing all round, because yeah, it all sounds rather... What have you got there? Oh, crikey. <laughs> Uh, um, I better keep an eye on this, isn't I? Yeah, because I mean, most of you guys probably turn up to work every day, and I turned up to work 35 years, and as far as I was concerned, I just got on with my job. And um, I was delighted when the letter arrived inviting me. I thought I'd better not turn it down. And uh, you wait for about an hour or so in a, in a sort of an anti-room, uh, and there's all sorts of other people in the room with you. And as I looked around that room, I thought, well, there's a lot of famous people here who I recognise. Um, and, and I was chatting to a few of them, and some of them had done some extraordinary things. There was one guy who'd set up a whole rugby rugby playing sort of league in central Wales for the disabled. And, yeah, other people had done extraordinary things. I thought, well, all I did was turn up to work and help a few people strut up and down, sort of, you know, wearing pretty frocks. Yeah, am I really worthy of all this? And, um, and then I found myself, you know, in front of Prince William. He had a good little chat. And um, but I'm sure he has a good little chat with everybody. <laughs> and I was reflecting as I was going away, and I've reflected back on it since. And... Um, and I thought to myself, well, Simon, you're, you're a normal person. You can probably pipe me. I'm perfectly normal, I can assure you. And yet these other people seem really important. Um, but actually, I sort of think that God was the person that actually said, Simon, you've turned up for work. It's not an easy place to work fashion, but you've stuck to your guns. Uh, you've done a good job. You've treated the great and the good and the normal everyday people, whether they're electricians or set builders or models or dressers, makeup artists, whatever they are, um, you've respected all of them and helped them all uh, in the work they do. And actually, this is from me. That sounds a bit grand, um, but I really didn't feel I was there on my own merits. I feel it's because actually I've done a, a job of integrity, which not everyone does, particularly in the world of fashion. And, um, and then that image of standing before the future king... Um, I don't know how well you know your Bibles, um, but that picture that will be standing before the King, uh, God, um, in due course. And it just reminds me, actually, what a special day that was. Uh, yes, I was worthy to be there because I'd done something actually for God and the people around me, not to try and be a hero. Uh, and the reward had been to stand before the King. And, uh, and that, you can make too much out of things, but it really struck me that that was a, that was a real encouragement along the way. Wow. There are maybe a couple of high points in, in your career, your life. 
But we've jumped right to the end, really. Um, I'm sure there's a long story before all that took place. So tell me about how you got into fashion in itself. You, you come from a military family. Father was in the Navy. And I think at one point you were looking to join the Army yourself. Yeah, I mean, fashion was a complete mistake. I'd never planned it at all. In fact, never, <laughs> even when I left. <laughs> um, yeah, I was brought up in Portsmouth, a naval town. My dad was in the Navy. Uh, being a somewhat awkward type, I decided that I wanted to join the Army. Um, the Army didn't want me, um, although the little piece I wrote from the selection procedure for my school magazine describing the antics um, down in Wiltshire uh, during that week... Um, they used that in the army recruitment literature for the next five years, which I found strange. They didn't want me, but they wanted my little story. But hey-ho, story of my life. Um, I failed my A-levels the first time round. Um, when I went back for a, a sort of reset year, they made me head boy of the school, which I thought was quite comic. Um, so it was a failure here as a head boy. But anyway, there you go. And I'd always said to myself as I was growing up, the last place in the world I want to be is in London. Um, such an awful place. Uh, and I'm never going to work in an office. Um, that's this whole sort of Army-Navy thing. And um, having d- done marginally better second time round with my A-levels, I had to go through clearing and ended up at Goldsmiths College in London. Um, so I seemed to be stacking up the things which I'd never planned and really didn't want. And whilst I was uh, at university, I studied geography because that's what people study when they don't know what they want to do. Because uh, it covers a little bit of everything. And um, I'd always been quite keen at singing, and I made most, more noise than most people in the back of the rugby coach. Uh, what we sang was a separate issue. And, um, and I, I had a, an Italian girlfriend, and she took me back one Saturday evening to her parents. I've told you this story before, dear, don't worry. Um, in, in North London, um, we had a few glasses of wine, and the dad, you know, an Italian sort of, he sat down at the piano, and we started singing opera. <laughs> and um, now I'd loved opera for about three or four years by then, and we just started singing at the top of our voices. And he says, "You can sing," he says. Um, I said, "I can make a lot of noise." Uh, anyway, I loved opera. I thought, "Well, maybe this is what I'm meant to be doing." And cut a long story short, are we at twelve o'clock yet? No. Um, I, I studied singing for uh, about 10, 12 years. Um, I, I had a voice that was good enough to be a professional, a big voice. All right. That's not me. <laughs> um, I had a voice to be a sort of, you know, top tenor singing, but I never quite got the top end of the voice right, and sadly that didn't work out. That's another failure. Um, meanwhile, I'd um, rediscovered the Christian faith I'd had when I was a boy, and courtesy of my brother, and um, I embraced that sort of wholeheartedly and uh, started with Jill uh, leading the children's work, and our children's work uh, was about 200 kids, uh, so it was, I exaggerate, it's about 150. So, yeah, that was a big job, and I persuaded the, the church council that we should employ um, a youth worker, um, a children's minister worker, and thinking, right, that's something for me to do. That's the next step sort of stuff. I persuaded them after about 18 months, and they appointed someone else. Um, So I'm up to about five failures by then. Um, Meantime, I'd taken a job working in Selfridges, 
uh, just to pay some of the bills in the menswear department, the highlight of which was measuring the inside leg of Bruce Springsteen one afternoon for a pair of jeans. Yay! Um, and I then went on to work for an organisation which became, in due course, the British Fashion Council and, um, and so on. So eventually, after about 10 years of doing the singing, my bosses said, um, Simon, we've only got about a third of you. Uh, are you going to do this job seriously or aren't you? Uh, and I thought, well, maybe the time's come. Uh, actually, I've got to make my mind up because I was about 35 by then. And, um, and so the singing stopped, the children's ministry wasn't going to work, the army wasn't going to work, staying out of London wasn't going to work, I found myself in an office. I am Mr. Failure. Um, and uh, when I said to them, yeah, okay, let's do this, they said, right, we're just taking on running London Fashion Week, which is a new thing. Um, you've got a real sensitivity, you know, your whole singing, you sort of get these people. Um, and so I found myself running London Fashion Week. And uh, I didn't apply for a job in 25 years and found myself uh, as Chief Operating Officer, um, meeting with the great and the good and running what people think is a really exciting event and having a real ball of a life. It's not, of course, but that's maybe for the next questions. Mm. So, yeah, so I, I quite often, when, I, when people started to ask me to tell my story about 10, 12 years ago, I usually described it as uh, how many failures can you fit in one life? Because um, actually, it felt like that. And to a certain extent, it still feels like that. You might say, well, what are you doing sitting up there telling us what to do? Um, but actually, what I think I've learned along the line is that <clears throat> if we're trying to follow along a path uh, where God's the boss, um, you don't always understand what's going on. Going on, life looks quite messy, uh, and every time you come to something which you'd wanted to do, it doesn't work out, which for most of us is quite often. Um, stick it in your bag and keep hold of it, because he's probably going to use it later on. And actually, all the things I've not ended up doing have equipped me for what I'm doing today. And who knows what's going on in the who knows what's going on in the future? So uh, it's an interesting thing to walk with God, because every failure actually gets turned on its head, uh, and you've always got the the confidence to move on, because I believe there's something great lined up. Mm. Thank you for sharing. Hey, you seem to God seems to be a very central part of your life, and the way He's and uh, the way you describe things, he, He's in control. He's the, the boss who's weaving out some big plan, and you don't really know where that's going off, often. Um, Tell me, how, how did you even grow in your faith, and how did you become to, to be a Christian in the first place? What, what made you trust this God who has this plan that you don't even know about? I mean, there's a lot of threads that sort of weave together to make it up, but probably the, the most entertaining part of it, and God's got a huge sense of humor. If any of you out there think God's up in a cloud with long white hair and a beard with harps being plucked around him, looking serious, that's not my experience. God has got a colossal sense of humor, uh, and he just loves gradually letting his plans out, uh, and we open the door, and suddenly, oh, <laughs> and he's been there before us. And one example of that was um, when I... I, I'd, I'd lived up in Greenwich when I was studying at university and stayed on there for a year or two. My parents moved up to Cheam, uh, which is just over the road there, uh, over on the dark side of Surrey. And, um, and they said, do you want to move in at home? Because we're, we're near to you now. Because I was working up in London, measuring Bruce Springsteen's inside leg. And um, I said, I don't think I do. Then they said, well, actually, there's a church nearby with lots of young people there. And I thought, ah haven't got a girlfriend. Maybe if I go along, I might find a girlfriend here. Um, yeah, we'll worry about the faith thing some other time. And um, and so I moved in with them. The next weekend, I went along to the church they were going along to. 
And sure enough, there's a great array. It's like a fashion show. It's brilliant. Uh, and one particularly nice young lady came up and said, oh, hello, I'm so-and-so, da-da-da. And so the following weekend, I went to... Um, to a weekend away for it's called 20 plus there's about 150 I think it was the same number of kids actually um, about 150 people there and it was at Ashburnham Place down in um, in um, near Battle down near Hastings and um, it was a terrific weekend uh, I met loads and loads of people but most entertaining and most interestingly I was absolutely fascinated by the speaker uh, who was a really well known missionary and um, and I just found myself drawn into what he was saying the reality of his faith how it really guided and directed his life and his big decisions you know what he was going to do where he was going to go and so on and so forth just captivated me and I guess if there was a point in time where the sort of all my childhood sort of whatever actually got focused into an active faith that meant something and was actually going to guide my life was at that weekend. Uh, and that's where God steps in. Because on the Sunday afternoon, uh, I think about person number 150 uh, walked up to me and said, oh, I don't think I've said hello. Um, yeah, my name's Santa. And I said to her, um, oh, you're about the only person I've met here this weekend. Hello, I'm Simon. And... Um, and uh, I'm, I'm told, uh, am I right, dear? As the person walked away, they thought, I've got this strange feeling. I'm going to marry this guy. Uh, and two years later, we did. So buy one, get one free. Um, <laughs> I went to the week, and God's sense of humour. It was Ashburnham Place, and the place I'd lived in Greenwich is called Ashburnham Place. Uh, and I went to Goldsmiths College in London, and the name of the speaker was Martin Goldsmith. Um, so if you look for God in, uh, around you, you quite often find him not looking severe, but say, I've got something for you. It doesn't answer your question at all, does it? But, uh... that's, that's very interesting, though. That's, uh, that's very interesting. I'm keen to know about your, uh, in the world of fashion, and you know, as a Christian living in that world, how, how does your faith interact with some, some of the practices that people think maybe go on in the world of fashion and how are they reconcilable you know I'm sure you're aware of whether it's the size of models or the environmental impact or um, the materialism of fashion these are some things that we've got to try wrestle with how did you cope with those as a Christian I mean three quick examples one people um yeah, I'm, I, I'm not the slightest bit fazed. There's a wonderful poem by Rudyard Kipling. Uh, if you can uh, walk with kings, or what is it, if? If you can walk with... I've got it on my phone, but I won't get it out. If you can walk with kings and keep the common touch, um, but if you can also walk with you know, the everyday person, whatever, uh, and so on. And I was never fazed by literally talking to royalty, ministers, celebrities, whatever, on one hand, because... I can see that there's normal people like you and me. Let's make a bit more noise uh, and get things wrong more often. <laughs> um, and on the other hand, I think I mentioned just now, you know, the people doing an everyday job, you know, the carpenters, the, the models, the, um, the junior member, the most junior intern in the team, whatever. And I never had the slightest problem. I think this is something that God had planted in me. You know, deal with everyone completely evenly. We're all the same. Um, we're just doing a different role. Uh, and you know, my role was to try and encourage and enable uh, as many people that I was encountering day by day to, to, to enjoy themselves, to do a good job, uh, and to get a bit of direction when they got things wrong. And... Um, that really stuck out to people because the world of fashion, like many of others, there's a bit of a slippery pole and everyone's trying to look great and so on and so forth. I think the fact that here was someone who um, 
was up there somewhere who you knew uh, you could come to, could share anything with him. It would be done in complete confidence uh, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't give you a grilling. He'd actually try and help you to sort your way through something. Um, was something that not many people found. So that was one instance, I think. Second thing, in 2008, a couple of models died in South America from anorexia and there was a worldwide media storm about this is uh, this is atrocious this is disgusting and they landed on all the main fashion weeks as the principal culprits um, was it an, was it atrocious that young girls should be dying from anorexia yes uh, was it right that fashion played a major part in it Yes, not the only part. Um, were Fashion Weeks the only culprits? No, but we're an obvious target. So anyway, other Fashion Weeks around the world basically tried to get the press off their backs by one or two little simple statements and this and that. In London, we decided um, we'd do something a bit meaningful. And I remember the night before we had the board meeting, which was on a Thursday morning, to discuss our plan of action. I sat myself down with God. Um, couldn't see him, couldn't hear him. But I said, this is a big thing here. Um, you know, I feel this. Um, you know, young girls dying because of this fashion thing that I'm part of um, ain't good. And as I was chatting it through with him, my fancy thing, sort of in my head, I got this real sense that this, this was um, a resignation issue. If we decided to do the same as everybody else uh, and just try and get these irritating people off our backs and just get on with what we wanted to, um, I couldn't be part of that. And, and I sort of made that resolution with myself. And we came to the board meeting on the um, Thursday morning. I sat down and we all went around the room. I think I was probably last to speak. And I said, you know, this is such an important issue for me. And for, you know, it's a sort of you know, resignation issue. You know, I wasn't throwing my toys, but I made it quite clear how important this was. And um, we voted unanimously to set up a working party, come up with that can make a... I keep cutting out here, is that okay? Um, There's a wonderful joke. This Is this Church of England? It's not, is it? No, a bishop went to do a communion service. Stay with me. I'll get back to where I was. A bishop came to do a communion service in the Church of England and... Um, as he, put his mic, as he got hold of the microphone and started to talk to him, he sort of tapped him and said, uh, there seems to be something wrong with this microphone. And the congregation called back, and also with you. <laughs> Are we okay? Is it just me that's mad? <laughs> you can hear, splendid. Um, anyway, I wondered, can't prove it, that actually the fact that that night before, I'd sat down and chatted to God about this, and I'd resolved in my own mind that, I would walk if this wasn't done properly. I wonder whether God actually was at work in that room in those people's minds uh, to actually change something. Uh, that's important um, because there are millions, uh, particularly young women, but increasingly young guys as well, uh, and not just young people, who really, really struggle with the way they look, uh, with the expectancy on them, and that can so easily manifest itself in eating disorders. Uh, and Far, far, far too many people die from that as well. And so that was something where... Now, did we completely transform the entire world and there's not a problem now? No, but that rarely happens. But it did mean, mean that we could move forward. And I think London got a reputation for a place where it looked after people that took big issues, ethical issues, seriously. So that was the second example. Third little example might sound boring. It's all about paid, in, paid and unpaid internships. That's pretty dry, you might think to yourself. It's an opportunity for young people to 
to get an opportunity for work experience, uh, which means they can see what a job looks like. It means they can start to meet people there. Uh, it can try and decide on their career. Um, a lot of people didn't pay their interns, uh, and the taxman decided that that was <clears throat> that, that was illegal. That was against the law. If you're doing work, you need to get paid. And they were going to visit 25 fashion companies, designer companies, uh, and basically, if they weren't paying interns, they were going to backdate the amount they needed to be paid for that, uh, which, uh, when I came to hear about it, uh, very quickly worked out. It would shut those 25 companies down. So I asked for a meeting with the tax man, which is not something you generally want to do. Um, and about six of them came into my office, and we sat down. And I talked through, and I said, look, I get where you're coming from. I actually happen to agree with you. Uh, if people are doing work, they should be paid for it. Um, but, and the reason why, it's not just a question of, you know, trying to get away with it. A lot of them, you know, if you're, if you're not being paid for six months, nine months, 12 months, um, you can only afford to do that if you're from a pretty well-off background, the bank of mum and dad sort of thing. Uh, and the effect of that, which means, A, it's not fair, because it means a large part of society is not getting the opportunity, but B, actually, a lot of the most creative people come from more difficult backgrounds, because they've had to really battle their way through. So actually, by having unpaid internships, you weren't getting some of the best talent. Top and bottom was I persuaded the tax man to go in and see the 25 companies but give them nine months to put their house in order. We then introduced some apprenticeships. We had discussions with colleges about arranging particular things and so on. So we put in place some measures and after nine months, the tax man went back and all the company apart from one uh, were doing the correct thing and whatever. So that's another example where I think, you know, we're told to provide, you know, opportunity for young people coming through. And that was another example where I wasn't so fussed about the glam and the glitz and the hemlines and the makeup and the look at me. Um, that was going to happen anyway. I was really digging into some of the big issues about people's livelihoods and their lives uh, that sat behind that facade. Thank you. You've written a book, um, this book here, called The Character of Fashion. And I've been reading through this over the last few weeks, actually. And there's a copy on all your tables, by the way. Simon's brought some for everybody to, to take home, a free copy of this book, which you've written. And I found it fascinating. I thought you'd done a great job at getting right into the heart of what fashion is. And you've got some great stories in here, some testimonies of people who work in the fashion industry and how they grapple with their faith within that and maybe their sexuality, um, their different disorders they may have and how they do business within that world. I think it's, it's interesting. And also, you've got lots of prayers in there about prayers for the fashion world. You've got what you could call God's Ten Commandments for, for fashion. Why did you write this book and, and what's your, your desire for it? It occurred to me that most, <clears throat> most of people who call themselves Christian, um, their idea of living out their faith at work probably doesn't go too far beyond not fiddling your expenses, uh, not gossiping behind people's backs, and so on. It's a fairly what I'd call passive way to express your faith. Uh, and I was privileged with the role I had to, as it were, be in the bridge looking out over this big industry. And it just increasingly grew on me. Uh, the question, which is the subtitle of the book, if God was boss, how would he run this industry? Uh, and actually, the thing that I think would be his priorities if he was sitting at the top of the table in the board meeting, finance wouldn't be the first item, 
people would be the first item. And some of the things that would be really on his heart would be justice, so that people who are making all these clothes that we wear are properly paid for. He would be worrying about the planet, uh, and we'd be hearing a lot about that at the moment, uh, and the fact that it's still there for our kids and their children. Uh, And fashion is the second biggest polluter after the oil industry. Uh, As a few examples, in India, they use arsenic uh, in the tanning process for leather, uh, and that just goes out into the water systems, and the rate of cancers and leukemias in that part of India uh, is higher than pretty much anywhere else. Uh, if you look at the rivers in China, they run the season's colours because all the dyes are just poured into the river. All the fish die, all the local communities, they can't have, you know, their livelihoods are taken away. Um, in the average British woman's wardrobe, there's about 20 pairs of shoes not worn. Uh, there are 32 billion pounds worth of unworn clothes in British wardrobes. If you look at all these sorts of things, there are huge issues of environment, of compassion, of justice, um, let alone moving on to the whole issue of image and identity. Who am I? Am I what I wear? Am I the way I look? Or is there something deeper? Uh, And I think God wants us to know who I am, who we are. And, um, yeah, I think that's such an important thing. Um, I was reading, someone was talking about leadership. Who is it? Oh, it's Major Major General Tim Cross, who was... um, who. who was one of the senior generals who looked after the British forces in Iraq and in the Balkans. And um, he said one of the key things about being a good leader is knowing yourself. Uh, if you don't know yourself, you're not going to be any good as a leader. And I think that's the same for all of us. Whatever we do, whatever we spend our days doing, if we're not confident and secure in who we are, um, we're actually going to spend our lives trying to put up a mask because we're not sure who we are, um, or we're going to try and put other people down because we're a bit uncomfortable about, you know, or insecure that they're more important than us. And actually, for me, um, why is this faith thing so important? Well, I'm a new creation. I'm in Christ Jesus. Those are little phrases. The reality is, uh, even though I can't see him, uh, I've got Jesus who walks alongside me every day. I can chat to him about all the big issues, all the little issues, all the frustrations, share my joys, uh, and in a sense, everything else doesn't matter. Uh, and that's going to go on forever. Um, like the rest of us, yeah, I will grow ill and die one day, um, but that's just a doorway, and that relationship will go on into the future for eternity. Don't know what eternity looks like. I can't cope with a place that has no time or space to it, but um, we'll see what it looks like when we get there. Um, even that's going to be here on earth, which is even more <laughs> strange to ponder. Um, so, yeah, image and identity, I think, will be so important, because uh, I always say that um, image is where we dress to impress people, we try and show off. You could argue my shirt's a bit loud and flashy, but hey-ho. Um, whereas identity is where we dress to express who we're confident and who we are. Uh, and I think fashion is very much in the image business. Uh, and if God was in charge, that would be something he wants really to grapple with, you know, that we can use clothes to express who we are uh, rather than something to hide behind. Mm. You've worked with some, uh, some of the most biggest and famous people perhaps in the world and very glamorous industry and yet you keep coming across as saying that this is just a day job in a sense that or it was a day job for you and yet it's your faith that goes through all the way you've worked and you are, you're a father you're a, a grandfather now as well and you've got a life now beyond the world of fashion 
Uh, I know you're involved in your, your church too, and, and you do a lot of singing um, and leading the music there. What is it now that is your sort of heartbeat for life, and, and what, what gets you up in the mornings today? Well, it's quite funny. When I was retiring, um, my son Peter, I think, sitting there grinning at me from the back of the, the room here. Um, when he, what are you going to do with your time then, Dad? Um, well, I'm going to do some writing. Um, I've got some songs I've written to go along to the Psalms, which I've got a real passion for, and I'm going to sing one or two of those for you in a moment. Um, and we're going to be putting on some events. Uh, oh, good, he says, so now you've finished your apprenticeship, you can get on with your life. <laughs> and um, anyone who's not as young as they used to be, um, I reckon these latter years are such a huge opportunity. Uh, you've learnt a lot. Um, you've got an idea of what you can do. Uh, there's an opportunity to mix a few things together you didn't get a chance to before. You've got a little bit of space to... Um, to, to develop things and yeah, that daily grind isn't on top of you. You can look forward to this, sir, if you're younger. <sighs> um, and I found that actually, do you remember I said I put all these things in my backpack, all the failures. Actually, a lot of those things that I thought were, were failures at the time are actually starting to come back together now. The writing. Do you remember I said that I wrote the piece, the army didn't want me, but they wrote my piece. Ah, I'm doing writing now. Uh, do you remember what I said about failing as, the, as an opera singer? Ah, I've written some songs, we've recorded an album, I'm now a worship leader and so on. That's come back. So many of the things, um, even the geography degree I took, which is all about space and that, throughout my career it was all about logistics um, putting on fashion show schedules 60 shows over 5 days all over London and whatever uh, and actually putting on events and things and, and all that sort of stuff I do now and I also now present to Premier Christian Radio planning shows and all that actually everything that uh, I've been put together everything I've been put in my bag because I haven't worked earlier on in my life has actually come back now so um, now I could drop dead to, tomorrow I don't know <laughs> any of us could um, but actually I'm really looking forward forward to a time of fruitfulness uh, over the next sort of years um, and I've always throughout my life <clears throat> thought there's nothing more sad and I hope this isn't you uh, than older people who sort of look downwards and inwards because uh, that can be really sort of stultifying um, and people become you know crusty and whatever sort of thing but there's nothing more beautiful than older people who are looking up and out and trying to pass on to younger people what they've learned. Because uh, they always say that kids never listen to their parents, but they always listen to their grandparents. Um, and in a work setting as well, I'm involved with a lot of fashion people still through what we call Fashion for Christ. And I always think, well, I'm the old boy. Why do they want to listen to me? But actually, they do. And I said, well, Why? And they say, well, you survived. We want to find out how you did it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm full of energy and, um, and enthusiasm about what God might be doing next. And part of the reason, I think, is because, um, you know, death ain't the end. And therefore, if I thought that that was the end of my life and whatever, you sort of, you tend to, ooh. But the fact that that's just a doorway um, <clears throat> doesn't mean it necessarily be a particularly pleasant doorway. It depends, see what it's like. Um, but actually, there's a real sense of momentum that actually I'm walking with Jesus now. I'm living eternal life now. Um, there's a glorious future lined up, and I can get the foretaste of it right now. And I want to share that with the people around me with it. Because there are so many people who are fearful of the life around them, who are uncertain about their future, who are worried about things. And those are very real. But... Yeah, they can all be trumped if you've got someone beside you who you know is bigger than all that and can help you through it. Mm, great.
Do you have the energy now to, to sing us a couple of your songs? I said I would, so I better. Now, I've got wires sticking at me in all directions here, so I better make sure I plug the right one into the right one. So that needs to go on here. Don't talk amongst yourselves for a moment. You're taking your inspiration from the Psalms. Uh, I've got this right. Let's have a look. I can't see. There you go. I'm trying to put it over another. Yeah, we're in. There we go. I'm sitting in here. Should be that. Um, I wrote, um, they're called Psalm Songs. Um, there's a book, Riding the Tide, which is the little orange one under there, if you like to wave it whilst I'm trying to sort these out. And um, I looked upon the Psalms very much as blogs and journals of people's lives from 3,000 years ago. Um, oops. Right, hopefully this will start working now. And as I started pondering the Psalms, um, it's a long story why I started, ask me later. Um, when you start pondering things, you, you start to think about them. And uh, as I started to think, I started to write some notes. And I started to share those thoughts with other people. And they said, that's rather good. And I found songs coming together as well. Um, and I wanted to set the words of every word of the Psalms I looked at. Uh, because a lot of the hymns we sing, they have a few of the nice little sort of, you know, nice bits out of the song. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But actually, a lot of the Psalms are about dark places, difficult places. And um, what I've tried to do in the setting of these Psalms, uh, is, is to try and capture that sense of the joy of knowing God but the disaster of some of the situations we find ourselves in. And um, this one, which is from Psalm 42, uh, it's one of the slightly more um, yeah, difficult ones. Is this coming through? Good. So, this is Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go to meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. downcast, O my soul, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Manitza. Deep calls to deep 
questions have been coming in. You got a lot? Oh, yikes. So, um, not all of them are appropriate, I can see. <laughs> but um, there's, there's some good questions there, so maybe we have a, a few of these. I, I won't promise to be able to get through all of them, sorry, but you can upvote those you'd particularly like us to ask. Uh, if I leave that there, Here we go. that should Just be safe, shouldn't it? So, Simon, hey... Have you ever been treated differently in the fashion industry because of your faith? And if so, how do you deal with it? <clears throat> um, what I found interesting when I was... Um, sorry, slouching in the chair. Um, when I was researching and writing the book, The Character of Fashion, um, there's a section on issues there. And um, I talked to a wide range of people about There's testimonies which are from from Christians, uh, yeah, different sort of roles. But all the issues, I've talked to people who are sort of leaders in their field, and that included atheists, agnostics, Muslims, and so on. And they knew full well what the book was about. They knew who I was, where I was coming from. And yet they, I think they respected and recognized the fact that because I was trying to address issues which were of common concern to anyone, 
of sort of you know, good standing and you know, good intention. Actually, they they didn't find that threatening. And I had one or two interesting beginnings of conversations about you know where I come from and you know where do you come from? Why are you passionate about these issues? But I actually found that um, one of the reasons I and I really would recommend to, you know you might not be involved in fashion, you might not have the slightest interest in fashion, no problem whatsoever. But have a think about where you are day by day, whether it's the school gate, uh, whether you work in an office, whether you work in a hospital or school, wherever you work. Um, how can you engage with the people around you, regardless of faith, about the issues that are important and would be important to God? And that is uh, a wonderful starting point, to share faith with people. And that's a slightly inverse way round to saying that one thing I didn't do um, all the way through the time I was working in fashion was to preach at people. I didn't think that I was going to get anywhere. When you sit down in the front row of a fashion show, <clears throat> Jesus is not the main topic of conversation. Uh, and if you talk about him then, they'll think you're just a weirdo and ignore you. So I think one has to be slightly savvy. Um, but, you know, opportunities do come. They don't come anywhere near as often as I'd have liked to. Um, but, you know... I didn't work hard to be a man of integrity. That's just, I guess, who Jesus had made me. And as I read my Bible every day, as I met with people each week, uh, as I worshipped God, it just became part of who I was. And people I know respected that. And therefore, that didn't mean you're immune from criticism or immune from people think, well, he's a bit of an idiot. But I think people did recognize that actually this faith that ran down the center of you actually meant something. It wasn't just sort of a hypocritical Sunday type thing. You know, we can trust this person because, you know, obviously whatever they believe, you know, makes a difference to the way they behave. Mm. Cool, thank you. There's a few questions here about um, questioning whether for a Christian, the, the, the ethics, the morality of spending money on fashion or beauty products, any thoughts about how much a Christian should be engaging in the world of fashion? Well, point number one, and I've, I've, I've made a lot of ladies happy when I've said this, I believe God loves fashion. Yay! Um, In the beginning, he created, he didn't do a business plan. Uh, He created the seasons. Oh, wow, where do they come from? Uh, He he created infinite variety. He created 110,000 different species of tree. Why? Therefore, God's interested in design and complexity, uh, in beauty. Um, If we look in the book of Exodus, uh, the design of the first uh, temple, uh, the first person to receive the Holy Spirit and uh, was a guy named Bezalel, who uh, was a designer who designed all the fabrics and everything in the tabernacle. There's a whole chapter about the design, purpose, construction uh, of the priestly garments and what they should look like, because what we wear says something about who we are and what we do. Uh, throughout the Bible, fashion is used sometimes in a bad way, sometimes in a good way. Uh, the first Christian in Europe was a lady called Lydia, who was a dealer in purple cloth. She was in the fashion industry. Great. Um, so I've got no doubts that God is interested in fashion. Um, it's also one of the biggest employers in the world. I've forgotten what the question is now, but I'm enjoying myself. Um, it's one of the biggest employers in the world. So I think if we ignore it, um, yeah, we're missing a huge opportunity. It's a huge mission field. People have often said to me, Simon, what, what's a Christian doing working in that sort of sin place? I say, well, that's the best place to be, surely. Um, yeah, that's where we're needed. Uh, um, not just to stop people doing naughty stuff, but to actually help people see the positive side and what they're doing. Uh, against that, 
fashion can be, and again, one of my favourite little sayings, that um, like most things in life, fashion is a wonderful servant, but a dreadful master. And so, pe- so many people, either as consumers uh, or people working in the industry, they seem to get sucked in by this fashion thing. And they behave in a certain way. And you think, why are you walking like that? You know, no normal walks like that. Um, you know, I'm a fashion person. <laughs> um, what was the question? This is about Christian's involvement in fashion, is it, is it right or wrong to be buying products and getting involved in fashion? Well, I mean, one, if you're buying thousands of pounds worth of clothes <clears throat> every day, I'd suggest you don't need them. You need to review your buying habits. Um, a question. You've got 100 pounds as a random, as a random amount. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to go out and buy yourself a really nice shirt, blouse, whatever it is, or, or something like that, um, that you know has been uh, designed, that you know uh, has been made properly and the people have been paid properly and it's gone through a proper provenance uh, channel sort of stuff. Um, one of those that you're going to wear lots of times and you're going to feel really good of and feel proud about. And actually you know something about the story of where it came from uh, and so on. Or you're going to go out and buy uh, four pairs of jeans, ten tops, 20 of those and 17 pairs of shoes. Um, and the question I ask you, you're going to have to buy a pair of jeans. <clears throat> if they cost, if your jeans cost you 2.99, have the people been properly paid? Nope. Uh, if they cost 4.99, have the people been properly paid? Six, 8.99, 12.99, 19.99. We can work out in our head uh, what's likely to have been fairly traded. Uh, and if you put those two things together about how we do spend our money, but how much stuff we buy, I think that's a good starting point, a good rule of thumb. Is it wrong to spend a couple of thousand pounds on a suit? Um, I guess that's for you. If it means that the children don't have any clothes and no food on the table, no, that's a wrong decision. If God has been gracious enough to put you in a job where you've got uh, plenty of resources and you give 90% of it away, um, but you love clothes and actually the job you do, that really is going to be important, I would say there's no problem buying that. And all stations in between. So I think it's a personal decision, but we just need to be savvy. Uh, and also, uh, what's one of the favourite phrases? I've got a real bargain. <laughs> you've got the bargain, but who's paid? And fashion is actually on the receiving end <clears throat> of a lot of really bad stuff. Because people think, oh, fashion's a great thing to get everything cheap. Why? Would you go out and buy a cheap car? <laughs> uh, the wheels might fall off, but never mind. Um, so I think you know, most of us can sit there and just have a think about it. And the way we express ourselves. You know, would you go to a wedding dressed in the holy jeans and a T-shirt? I don't think so. You dress up to respect the bride and the groom and their family. Um, If you're going out to a party, would you go in your office clothes? No. You'd probably get into a party. If you're going to work in the garden, would you wear your best suit? No. You dress. So I think to use fashion, to use clothes in a way, A, that makes you feel good about what you're going into, but B, respects and honours the people you're going to be sharing that event experience with. Um, yeah, you can do an awful lot of stuff with fashion and it's a great thing to talk to people about as well and by the way, chaps quite a lot of men used to sit beside me in fashion shows and say <clears throat> Simon, what's all this fuss about fashion? microphone's that way, sorry Simon, what's all the fuss about fashion? I'd say, just think football for girls <laughs> very good I've got a, a few just quick fire questions here for you was the dress black and blue or white and gold? Do you know what I'm talking about? I thought it was pink. You thought it was pink. 
Have you ever shopped at Primark? <clears throat> Have I ever shopped at Primark? No. Is there more cake? Uh, no. There's, al- there's always a need for more cake. There is. What would you, how would you encourage those wanting to get into the fashion industry? Say that again. What's how the... would you encourage those wanting to get into the fashion industry? Um, the first thing I'd say is don't. It's difficult. It's high pressured. Uh, there's a lot of issues, a lot of problems around it. Um, but if you ignore that, which you probably will, go for it. Um, it's one of those industries where uh, there's huge breadth and depth and height of opportunity. Uh, and a lot of people, I was used to spend half my life talking to students who'd gone to university. They wanted to be a designer. Everyone wants to be a fashion designer. They're the stars, the heroes. The reality is there's only a very limited number of opportunities. And I spent half my life trying to encourage people when I talked to students, because I did a lot of work with students. Um, look, why don't you sort of take a sort of a left turn in the middle of your course and actually study pattern cutting? Because, uh, you know, we don't all go around in two-dimensional designs. We go around in three-dimensional clothes, which have to fit bodies and move with what we do and so on and so forth. There's a huge demand for pattern cutters, and actually they get rather well paid. Uh, so... A lot of a lot of fashions, probably like most walks in life, it's about your aspiration, your dream. The reality is for most people a little bit different. And there's such a wide range. So my, my advice to anyone wanting to go into fashion is explore the huge range of things. And you can just, just look at some clothes. Oh, well, who did that? Who did that? Yeah, in the marketing world, the buying world, the selling world, uh, the production world, the design world, and so on. Uh, and, you know, where's your heart? What do you think you're good at? Talk to some other people. Well, you might think you're good at that. I don't. I think you're really good at that. So it's a little bit of homework. And then it's a question of knocking on an awful lot of doors. And if you can find some work experience, which goes back to why that's so important, um, get in there. But there's no, there's no magic touch to it like there isn't with anything. But it's a huge, huge industry, global. Yeah. We've got so many questions here. I've got one more, I'm afraid. And then if there's others here you'd like to ask, I think, I'm sure Sai would be, we'd lo- love to chat with you afterwards as well. But just to finish with, um, it's just jumped up again. It keeps getting upvoted. There we go. Did you ever feel God wasn't there in your failures and found it hard? And if so, how do you deal with it? And what would you tell to young people? So through, through your failures, you, you've mentioned that a lot this morning about... Yeah, you've had a lot, of, had a lot of failures. Did you feel God was distant from you? wasn't wasn't around? What was? Yeah, I mean, that song. Yeah, why have you forgotten me? Um, and yeah, just because I'm a person of faith, a Christian, that doesn't mean I don't feel. Mm. It doesn't mean I don't get annoyed and disappointed. And um, I'm fortunate, I think, I guess, in that my makeup isn't prone to extended darkness and depressiveness. I did have a period when a lot of financial things went wrong, which was my responsibility, although it wasn't my fault. And, um, but I felt it was my fault. And I went through a period of three, four months, something like that, where um, is the nearest I got to feeling depressed about something because um, I couldn't see the way out of it. And it was my area. And I felt like I'd got flu uh, for months. Um, and uh, it's just a little phrase uh, for my daughter, who just something she said about, you know, stick in there, you'll be fine. And it just, you know, just, and yeah, I, I think the human condition, you know, for all the fact that you know, I've got a badge which says Christian, and I've got a passport which says I'm going through that door <laughs> to be with Jesus forever. Um, you know, you're st- we're still living in, in a dark place in a fallen world. You know, Brexit is still Brexit. There are still people... <clears throat> 
dying from cancer. There were still people. Uh, and one of the privileges I have each week is because I present worship at home every Sunday morning. I'm normally in the studio up in London this time on a Sunday. And we have two prayer slots uh, each, each, month, each morning. And listeners send in their requests. And I pray for them, you know, live, as it were, or on the air. And... Yeah, the, the difficulties people face. There's a lot of people facing anxiety. There's a lot of people worried that that's slipping in depression. There's a lot of people separated from their families. Their children have gone off and they haven't seen them for years. There's a lot of person, you know, my wife's just been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, so-and-so's just died and I don't know what to do. There's a lot of pain around. I think if we pretend that's not there... Um, you know, we're not going to be living life. And yeah, it is how on earth we can hold on to the certainty and the joy in one hand, and yet sharing in the pain and the brokenness in the other, and somehow trying to bring them together. Uh, and I always remember that it was Jill and my 25th wedding anniversary, the same time that my brother, who's five years older than me, had a stroke. And for three weeks, he was in a coma. He then died. And we had to decide whether we went on our two or three things we were going to do to celebrate and celebrate, uh, or whether we just sat there and just, you know, sat beside my brother's bedside and, and felt bad. We decided we'd go ahead. And I learned a lot from that little exercise. <clears throat> um, that actually, that trying to hold together joy and pain uh, at the same time, that's the human condition. That's what life's about. If you look at it in sort of theological type stuff, we live between times. We live between when Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. Uh, and if we follow him as Lord and Saviour, we will know eternal life. Uh, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. Um, but he's coming again. Uh, and he's going to wrap up the world. Uh, and there's going to be a judgment after that. And those who know them are safe. Those who are not are going to have to account for what they've done. Um, but in the meantime... You know, we've got to live with the pain and the joy. And I think if we, uh, if we don't live with the joy, we'll just become washed up. Um, if we, you know, take no account of the pain that a lot of people, including ourselves sometimes, are suffering, you know, we're going to be pretty useless. And actually people are going to ignore us because they're no good. Uh, to come alongside people in pain, uh, to allow people to come alongside you when you're in pain, yeah, we're all in this together. And I think that's, for me, uh, what makes life with Jesus so fulfilling and you know he's the key he's the heart at the center of my life because it enables me to tackle all those things great well thank you i think that's a good place to sort of wrap things up but i'd love, love you to be able to sing one more song for us if you would and i know you've chosen a song it talks about our god as a father and he's a god who's through all those situations in life that you've just been describing is there with us and he's a good father uh, maybe you want to just tell us why you chose this one and then you can sing it for us Have I, got all the, have I got all the right things plugged in here? Things everywhere, right. Um, yeah, th- this song sort of, um, do you know, Good Good Father, it's called, it's a few years old. Um, it sort of sums up... <clears throat> we certainly don't want that. Um, it sums up where I come from. The word father, I know causes a problem for some people. You might have had a really broken experience of your own father. Um... But there is a heavenly father who's a perfect father. Uh, and he's not a harsh, judgmental type. He's a father who loves us regardless. And, um, yeah, the most famous prayer is our father. And um, as I sing this, um, if this makes you angry because of your own personal experience or sad or whatever, please do come and chat afterwards. 
because uh, as I was trying to decide which song to sing, I really felt this was a good one. Uh, and God wants to wrap us in his arms of love. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think your life, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father, it's who you are. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. I've seen many searching for answers, far and wide, but I Because you know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to As you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still as you call me, deeper still into love, love, love. You're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am.
Simon, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's such a, a pleasure to, to interview you up here and to hear your story. And I feel like I've only scratched the surface, really. There's so much more we could talk about. And you're welcome to stay on and chat further. And I'm sure Simon would love to talk with anyone who would, who would like to chat more about that, particularly about what we've just been singing about. God is a Father who loves you, who knows you. He knows exactly what you're facing and, and what you're feeling. He, he cares about you so much that he sent Jesus into this world as your Savior. And uh, we, at this church here, would love to, to explore that more with you as well. We run a course called Christianity Explored, and there's a little invite on your table. If you'd like to explore more about this good father and what he's done, then you are invited. This booklet tells you about the course, and inside is an invite to our next one that we are running. Please pick up that, and if you'd like to come along, you're so welcome. We also have some more literature on your table. There's a, a gospel, either John's gospel or Mark's gospel, this it's one of the biographies of, of Jesus. It tells his life story and what he's done for you. You're welcome to take this away with you, as well as the book that, that Simon's written too. There's a copy there for, for each one of you, if you'd like. There's a couple on your table. There's a whole lot more out in the foyer there. If uh, you want to give this away to someone as well, then I'm sure Simon would be really pleased to see these go into people's hands. And they're really accessible, easily, easily to read. And there are lots of great stories in there about how God and fashion can work in, in existence together. There's lots of good pictures too. There are, there are actually, yeah. You're quite right. So thank you again for joining us. Fill up your tea and coffees and, and carry on the conversation. Should we have, give another round of applause, please, to Simon?